Welcome back to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, and thank you for subscribing. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, and on this podcast, we speak with some of my favorite sports icons from the region I've covered for almost 30 years. Hi, I'm Jake DeLome. You'll hear many stories on and off the field. For this episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas, I'm happy to have quarterback Jake DeLome. DeLome became a cult hero for the Panthers not long after his arrival in 2003 as an unheralded quarterback who had not been drafted. But in Carolina, DeLome found some magic dust and sprinkled it on the rest of the team. Four minutes left in the third, the Panthers lead 13-7. Daylight come and you got to DeLome! Jake DeLome! 66 yards! You know, it's so easy now, but it's like, I wish we wouldn't have chased the points. Thanks again for supporting this work. Here's the rest of our conversation. You had, um, I, you know, I've covered this team since I got a lot of gray hair to, to show for all these Panther losses I've covered, but uh, I've covered covered them since the inception. And you've, you had uh, the swagger that I think great quarterbacks normally have. Baker has some of that, to get back to Baker for a minute. I mean, I've heard him described sometimes as, well, best case scenario is he becomes Jake DeLome. Do you see any similarities in Baker with you? Listen, I I do see some similarities, yeah. I mean, I think he can get a little choppy with his feet. I used to get very choppy with my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, will he roll the dice a little bit on the play? You're damn right. I, and I was the same way. I just I, – I never understood, and this always – and whatever it may be, I've played with quarterbacks. They would rather look at the stat sheet and be 17 for 24 for 206 and a touchdown and lose 17 to 10. And I never understood that. I played with guy, and look, I played with a, a couple of guys that they played ten years in the NFL. They were never great starters. There was some, ta- they were talented, but like they didn't want to make a mistake. And okay, there's something to be said for that. But like, you want to win, you gotta have to take a chance some right. sometime. At and some point, you're gonna you're gonna have to take yeah. a calculated chance. Yeah. And uh, you know, will he will he do that this year? Probably so. But I mean, we've got some weapons around him to help him. So I'm hopeful. Listen, I had a great run here. My last year I was awful. I get cut, rightfully so. Then I go to Cleveland, stayed hurt. Now I was at the end. Listen, Baker started out in Cleveland. Maybe he can come here and it can be a good run. You know, kind of, it's kind of be the be the reverse, the so, opposite of, yeah, uh, of your path. Exactly. That would that would be awesome. And I think everybody in Charlotte would, would certainly embrace that. Well, they that. need that, right? Well, I, I, mean, I think so. Yeah. I mean. I always felt, looking at this football team, and I felt it when Matt Rule got the job. So, didn't know Matt Rule at all. Obviously knew who he was, saw the success at Temple, yes, year three. Baylor, yes, year three. Uh, NFL is a little bit different, but I just felt, you know, looking at the division, division, I always said, okay, Tom Brady's going to Tampa. That's a one or two year deal in my mind. That's a one. I did not think it would be three. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And they were going to go veteran heavy, which they've done, and then they'll fall apart. I mean, that's just kind of Drew Brees. You knew it was the end for Drew. You knew it was getting close. And Atlanta, they were kind of teeter tottering. Where are they going with Matt Ryan? What's going to happen? And I just said, man, if we could just slowly stockpile, and in year three, four, five, you know, like boom, we can make Hit that it. run. Yeah. And we're going into year three. Didn't think Tom would still be there. Right. Um, the Saints, I think, have done a really good job with their roster. Kudos to them. I think they've kept a really good roster. Atlanta, I think, this is a rebuild, major rebuild. But I, I just think we're starting 
starting to make that climb. I, I thought we might have been a little further along, but I, I think we're getting there slowly. Well, I hope you're right because it's certainly much more fun to cover a winner. Yeah. And I'm sure to announce one, too. Um, there's only so many stories you can write about losing 41-17 or calling those games. Yeah, that's yeah. – I mean, look, it's difficult. I'm going to be honest. I mean, you're, you're up there and – listen, we're the Panther broadcast. And so it's going to be yeah. – we're going to lean heavy toward the Panthers and I'm, we're going to get excited and rightfully so. But you know what? We're gonna, I'm, I'm rightfully hurt. After games, like especially games that it's just it's like those things yeah. we're there, you know. And then I think the team kind of really the injury bug really bit us, you know, pretty bad. And it just it's just one of those deals. It's like you want I want to taste it. And I know the team obviously they feel the same way, but calling a game I want that's it's fun. Super Bowl Thirty Eight was on I don't know a, a, a NFL Network or something the other day, and so I watched rewatched the fourth quarter. You threw for 211 yards in the fourth quarter alone, uh, which is remarkable. But, of course, y'all lost, 32-29 in in an incredible Super Bowl. Cologne, going to go deep down the far sideline. It is caught, touchdown. Deshaun Foster, Foster breaks through, 30, still on his feet, 20, 10, 5, touchdown. Cologne pulls it down, looking, looking, going to go deep, has his man wide open. The two Super Bowls the Panthers went to, that was by far the best chance to win. I mean, you were there. Yeah. You were close. The other one turned out, should have maybe you should have won it, but really got, I mean, got beat by two touchdowns. So, in that Super Bowl, what do you think you could have done differently to make it change? Um, you know, it's so easy now, but it's like, I wish we wouldn't have chased points. I wish we would have kicked extra points because I think it's a little different story. And look, he probably still would have made it. But if Adam Vinatieri is losing the game instead of it being tied, if he misses, we're going to overtime. Yeah. So, you know, and we chased points uh, in that particular game, uh, trying to, you know, yeah, catch up. Two-point conversions. Two-point conversions. Yeah. And listen, that was a hard game. Like that – that defense for New England, it was just – it was nightmarish. They were so big, so long, so good, so technical, and we couldn't we couldn't run the ball. But I'll never forget Dan Henning. And I'm a big Dan. I, I just – I love Dan. Dan, you know, now that you're removed and you go back and you think of the mm-hmm. things that he did, he told us this two weeks leading up to the game. And he was so prophetic in how he said the game was going to go. And, and just he did little things. Like Dan, for two weeks, did not call Bill Belichick Bill Belichick. He called him Little Billy because Dan was with Bill Belichick for years. They, they, were, they were teammates. Uh, they were coaches together because that's under the whole Bill Parcells. So he called him Little Billy. Little Billy. And that was done on purpose. That was done for, in our mind, we're playing against Little Billy. We're playing against Little Billy. And he, was, and he just all week long, he was like, men, the first quarter – it's going to be like hitting your head against the wall. They're big, man. They're, it's going to, they're going to cause, cause us fits. The second quarter, we're going to wear their big behinds down a little bit, and we're going to get something happen. Because he knew, you know, it's going to be warmer. It's being Houston. They had been up in the snow and yeah. all that. 
And he and that's who, how we were. And then he goes, we're going to go to halftime, and they're going to be able to recover because it's Super Bowl. It's a whole lot longer. Third quarter is going to be difficult. He said, and men in the fourth quarter, we're going to wear them out. He said, and we're going to beat them. And if you go back to the game, I mean, that's pretty it's kind of very, very close to the way it worked yeah, out. Yeah, because yeah. I remember the first quarter, and I'm like, I'm dropping back to pass. I'm not seeing much. I'm getting hit, grabbed, hit. I'm handing to Stephen Davis. I have the best seat in the house. I'm not seeing much for him to run through. I, re- I remember he looked at me in the second quarter. I mean, because we're all pretty prideful. And he was like, Jake, what are we seeing? What's going on here? You know, and I was like, Stephen, just just, just keep going. Just keep going. And uh, we were able to pop a couple of things before the half real quick. And um, third quarter, the same way, kind of back and forth. Defense did a good job of keeping us in the game. And, you know. Well, Tom the Brady was on the other side, unfortunately, too, right? They just and he's still on the other side. That's what blows my mind. I, I mean, I, he's <laughs> not much different in age than you, you know, is like it? Two, two years older, two and a half, maybe oh three gosh. years older. It blows my mind. But, look, I give him credit. I mean, this guy, he's special. He's just different. He's special, and he's good. He's good. I mean, I watched even the last preseason game he played in this past week. Mm-hmm. You know, he drops back, he throws a comeback to Julio Jones, and the arm looked the same. You know, it was just like, wow. You know, it's it, it looked great, and he's 45 years old. He retired for 40 days, I think it was, and then I don't know what happened. Got tired of um, something. So got tired of, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, I, I don't know this, but I think in those 40 days they planned a family vacation. And uh, I think Mama wasn't letting him kind of uh, go back on it. So right, right. Uh, I think there's no doubt that that's that's what happened. That he, he, you can go back, but you have to take these two weeks in August or whatever exactly. it was. Yeah. Um, you, Bro Bridge, you were speaking about there briefly. I visited it once when uh, you guys had your Super Bowl year, and it's a unique place. Is it still nicknamed the crawfish capital yeah. of the world? That's it's still, still nicknamed the crawfish capital of the world. All right. Yeah. So, so, and that's where the live crawfish came from that you had shipped yeah, up here. I, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> one of those. I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, we got that. How do you up. describe Bro Bridge? And, you know, your accent and just sort of the <laughs> way, the, what you, how you grew up. And, Listen, I grew up on the outskirts of Bro Bridge and the outskirts of Lafayette. Yeah. And I went to school in Lafayette, high school, college and everything. And. Lafayette's a town, gosh, the population now, I guess it's about 120, 140,000 people, a really nice sized little city. And they have everything you want. I mean, from the Ruth Chris Steakhouse, all the seafood, pl- I mean, they've got the Lululemon stores, they've got this and that. It's Lafayette's a really great place. And uh, the surrounding area, I guess you could say for the, from the Lake Norman, the Lake Wiley area, you're looking close to, you know, 500, 600,000 people. So it's pretty nice. But uh, just um, we have a true culture back where we're from. We're uh, we're fun loving people. We love to family is very 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 important. Family and religion and and food. Yeah. So I mean it's always it's it's always well let's get together let's cook let's do this and festivals and music and things of that nature. It's always something to do. Um, and it just has a deep history of culture and and the family and it's just a it's a wonderful place. It's 
I hate to say it, it's almost kind of grown a, a little too much for me. You know, mm. uh, like my girls, it's uh, it's a lot busier for them than I guess when when I grew up. But so many people from those surrounding areas, they don't live in the uh, the little rural towns anymore, the farming towns and They've stuff. Moved, They've yeah. kind of moved into into Lafayette. They moved into the the city and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, a lot of friends when they come, I think they're surprised because they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, I didn't expect it to be like this." Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, almost cosmopolitan. Uh, it's, the way you're yeah, you. It. Can, Cajun cosmopolitan. Exactly. And it, but it still has that 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 deep family, you know, kind of history, that, that root system there. And you the still family. live near your parents? I live next door to my parents. Was, still next door? Yeah, it was really? family property. My grandfather was yeah. a cattleman farmer. He spoke better French than English. Mm. Had a lot of property. Um, you know, couldn't read or write. Uh, but, you know, that's where I grew up. And I got some land. Dad gave us some land. And, you know, it's... I loved it, you know, and I was worried. I didn't know how when we moved back home, we were here from 2003 through June of 10, moved to Cleveland, and my girls grew up in a cul-de-sac neighborhood. I mean, that's what they grew up in. That's true, yeah. And, you know, we had an open-door policy. Like, the kids in the neighborhood, like, come to the house. I mean, that was, that's what it was. And uh, I was like, man, i got to move them back home. I mean, we live off of a highway. I mean, that, we don't have neighbors. <laughs> and they haven't missed a beat. It was, it was, uh-huh. it, it was never, it was never an issue. And so it's, uh, it's nice to have a little, little land and we still want their kids to, all their friends to come over and they still use our house as if it's their own. So it's, uh, that, that's, that's Do you cool. cook? I mean, are you like one of these I, uh, I, guys that do crawfish boils? I, I, yes, yeah. I can do all that. I, I can cook, uh, but my wife, not only can she cook, she loves to cook. Carrie, and yeah. so I'm spoiled in that regard. You know, like my dad's a great cook, my brother's a great cook, my mom. You know, but the men cook a lot back in South Louisiana, right. and a lot had to do with the hunting camps and the and the fishing camps, and they would always go to the camp and stuff like that. But yeah, so uh, but I've, I'm more than comfortable moving around in the kitchen and and eating and things like that, and and. Eating good food and fixing good food, more than comfortable. <laughs> you um, you told a story. I, I hope you wouldn't mind repeating here, but it was the one about the Dallas playoff. Y'all play? Yeah, you played Dallas in two thousand three. Well, that was the uh, yeah, yeah. We, we was, lost to them in that Dallas. That was the keep pounding game. Was the, the and playoff then, game. and the playoff game uh, two months later was the keep pounding game. Right. Yeah. And so was it in the playoff game that Moose and you had that interaction? Uh, so tell me that one again. Yeah. yeah. So. Gosh, it's it's we're playing Dallas in the playoffs, and we're up. I think it's ten nothing. I know it was the second quarter. It was third and ten from the twenty three. So we're going in. That's not a good third and ten from the twenty three. They're gonna play coverage. I mean, that, that's really not a. You don't want to throw it much in there. I mean, you have to maybe take a shot, but then check it down. So the play comes in, and I remember looking at my wristband, and I'm like. God, I made a face. <laughs> and Moose was next to me, or he was directly across from me. And he was like, what? And I and I said, bong. And he goes, F that. Change it. <laughs> and I th- and I, I thought about it. And now, I, what, did, what was the play? What it was 32F bong. Okay, which so, means it's, what it's is Basically, that? it's a wham. It's a quick-hitting play where we're going to take the tight end. He'll kind of zigzag motion or was it brad hoover one of them zigzag motion and you're gonna let like the nose guard come free it's almost like a trap and you're gonna ball you're gonna hit him and it's yeah. a quick hitter right past running them. play though. so uh, yeah. uh, up um, the middle running play. oh the most boring play yes yeah. 
And sure enough, I said, no, we're going to run it. Just run it. You know, we're in field goal range. We're in control. Because our defense was stopping them. Moose wanted to change it to a throw. Well, we all did. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and and so sure enough, I hand off Stephen Davis up the middle. Everybody's blocked, sealed. He cuts to the left and he goes down the sidelines. And DeLone, now third and 10 from the 23 yard line. And they're going to keep it on the ground. And Davis is going to spin to the outside and go in for the touchdown. I don't know if you remember, he sticks the ball out and he almost, he high knees from like the seven on in. Like, there's nobody around him. <laughs> And, like, the crowd is going nuts, and we all in the end zone celebrating, and we're running off, and Moose puts his arm around me. And he's like, I told you not to change that play. I told you not to change that play. <laughs> and so it's just things like that that happen in a game, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how <laughs> dumb would I have been if I had changed the play, you know? Did you ever change plays? Uh, not often. Yeah. I mean, I, we were lucky enough. I had free reign. Like, if ever we had two-minute – or we had something called red ball, and that was our two-minute with Dan Henning. And it was uh, it was simple but so effective. And everybody knew it. Everybody could play. Wherever you were at, you lined up. Mm. So you knew all four – everybody knew all four positions. So Moose could be the, the receiver on the right on the next play – he just so happens to end up on the slot on the left, and Steve's on the right. Didn't didn't matter. The plays never changed. I would call a, I would signal uh, a number, yeah. and everybody knew them. Um, that was effective for us because back then, before a team could challenge and like, there's a play that might have been questionable. We played the Saints one time, and Keyshawn bobbled a pass, and it was a first down inside the ten, and you knew it, they called it complete, but it didn't look complete. And I remember Mike McCoy immediately, red ball, red ball, red ball. So I knew. But that was so great. When we lined up, you we were there. Called a play, throw it to D'Angelo, touchdown. Uh, you know, just so yeah. easy. Um, we did it against Denver. Those were the things that were – that was the Dan Henning approach. You know, I know Davidson was there, but we carried that stuff over. That's the kind of stuff that a veteran can do, though, that, a, you know, a rookie or somebody just right. – Right. It's not ready but, to do yeah. that. Yeah. And that's the thing, though. It wasn't hard. You know, it was yeah. – we did – It was what, simplistic a little bit, wasn't it? We did what we yeah. were supposed to do. It didn't mm. matter because in Dan's mind, we were going to out-execute him. Mm. And that's what we did. And then I watched Drew Brees for years run the same plays over and over with Sean Payton. It's the same plays. They get inside the 20-yard line. They're running four verticals. And Drew is going to make whoever right with the football. He's going to back shoulder or throw it a certain way, pump a certain way. I mean, and everybody's going to be on their landmark. They're going to line up and uh, run to the same. It's frustrating because it always worked. It, it worked. Like. Yeah. It worked. God, Brees was so good against the really Panthers. Good. Really yeah, good. he was uh, – you're um, – Count me as one of your big fans on the Bojangles ads. <laughs> I thought those were hilarious. Um, I think my favorite was the one that was a spoof of Jerry Maguire. I Show me the chicken. Look, Dave, I like you. I really do. But there's something I got to hear. Show me the chicken. Show you the chicken? Yes. No, no, no. That was done at a house in South Charlotte. They rented someone's house. And it was... That was comical. You know, I mean, you just, it's a, it takes four hours to film a 30 second commercial. And, you know, it was show me the chicken. And I can be silly and I can act stupid. And yeah, so that was, uh, that was pretty good. And I think the nice touch, Steve ended it at the end. Right. With, you, you know, 
you had me. It, it was, or you complete you me. Complete, yeah, you complete you me. You complete yeah. me because of the Not that you had right? me. Yeah, yes. you complete me. Yeah. And with his snarky, sarcastic way. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was it was good. That I really and truly enjoyed doing that. How many that. of those did you do? We did a bunch. We did yeah. the Mean Joe Green. We did uh, the Dukes of Hazard. We did uh, If You Build It, They Will Come. Uh, we did the Show Me the Chicken uh, I was, I get teased to this day by buddies all the time. I was the the defender of the biscuit, the freshly made biscuit. So I was, a, I wore a cape, and I was. <laughs> that might not yeah, have been one of that the might best not have been ones. One, that might not have been uh, uh, one of the best ones. But yeah, it was a. Uh, so we did, and then we did something with Thomas Davis. I totally forgot we did one with him because we he was teasing me about it. He was talking about it yesterday, uh, but yeah, it was a. Those are fun. Those are fun. The Bojangles people were good people. They were, and those are those probably sold them a lot of biscuits because they were really, uh, and they were regional, I guess. I mean, you're Louisiana. Did, yeah, people. we had Popeyes. Yeah. yeah, we did not have Bojangles. Uh, that was uh, Bojangles, yeah. a, a, a yeah. North Carolina company. So yeah. Show me the chicken. Come on, say it like you mean it. Show me the chicken. Congratulations, you're still my agent. God, I won't need to get have a Bojangles. You complete me. Jake, you worked very hard as a quarterback, but also were known for playing very hard uh-huh. as a prankster. So tell me about your sort of, you know, some of your greatest hits, I guess, in the locker room. Listen, I'm I'm the baby on one side of the family of 21 grandchildren. So to say I got picked on would be putting it mildly. <laughs> and I had an older brother, five years older. He played football and he played college football and I was always around, and I got beat and picked on, and I saw pranks and jokes. So I just – I love pranks and jokes and things like that. And so a locker room I always thought was just sacred ground. And, you know, here we are. We're grown-ups getting paid a king's ransom to play a kid's game. And, you know, you have to keep it light sometimes. And so we played a lot of pranks, a lot of jokes. And one of the ones that was classic, especially in Carolina, was when someone went to use the restroom because it's a – you know, you're in a locker room, and then there's the restrooms. There's, yeah. you know, four stalls and doors, and somebody had to go to the restroom. There was always a um, a big Gatorade, um, an empty Gatorade uh, kind of tub that you fill water up in, and somebody would go in the cold tub and scoop up the cold water and padoosh right <laughs> over the top. And so uh, you just kind of knew better uh, if not to do it. And uh, use the restroom, or you needed to find a hidden bathroom, and they always tried to get me. I mean, I was the one that I, they tried to get me on a lot of things. You were an instigator, very you, much. You so. were the Padouche guy, uh, yes, hundred percent instigator. And one day, I just I had an idea, and I had on my sweatpants that were big, and I kind of I hid uh, something in my sweatpants, and I, and I and I said it on purpose, like. We're going to a meeting in like 10 minutes. I got to use the restroom real quick. And so I take off. Well, sure enough, you could hear a whisper like little girls. And I, yeah, I knew. And sure enough, they came over the top and the water hit. And they're all laughing while I stand. I had an umbrella in my pants pocket. I hid. (laughs) And I opened it. And I just sat on the toilet with the umbrella over me. And I stood up and I had the umbrella up. And their faces, they were so pissed. They were like, you got to be kidding me. And I just, you know, I talked a lot of smack about, you can never get me, you know, and yeah. something like that. And so you're always looking to do something. And one day I came up with one, and I, I loved it. I thought it was, um, 
Fridays and short yardage and goal line. That's kind of what's put in. Yes, you, you go over first and second down, and then you go over third down red zone. You do all that, but you, you install your short yardage and goal line. Well, that, in essence, that's a lot for the offensive lineman. It's not necessarily for the quarterback and stuff. I Yes, if I had to make one run check, but I knew it like the back of my hand. Uh, so it's a play to the right, a play to the left. It's so so minimal. And so, you know, you're in meetings for two and a half hours. Guys, get up, go to the restroom real quick, come right back, you know, back and forth. So, <laughs> so I went out and uh, I had some deer urine <laughs> that I, I don't remember if it was Brad Hoover or somebody brought it to me. Or one of the equipment managers that I guess people would spray on themselves when they would go hunting to attract the bucks. Okay. So I went and I sprayed the collar of the jerseys, the practice jerseys of all the offensive <laughs> linemen. I say all of them. There's only nine on our, our and and maybe my Brad Hoover's also maybe or whatever. I can't. And sure enough, you come out and it's a rush to get out to Friday practice, and it's usually a little more pep in the step on Friday. <laughs> and sure enough, they start to put the jerseys on, and you can just hear, "Damn it, Jackie! Damn it, Donnie!" That's the two equipment managers. These jerseys, you did y'all wash them from yesterday? And just on and on. And a few of us knew and like just hurried up, put my my helmet on and like walked out. Just and those are the things that you, you just I don't know. You you come up with stuff and, and there was so many. Steve Smith was a big one on, on jokes and yeah. yeah, giving or receiving. Oh, he was a big time uh he was he Steve was you knew better than to mess with Steve. Well, I was going to say because he would go to at all yeah, costs. Because out of anybody risky. who yeah. didn't need to worry about preparing for a game, Steve didn't need to worry because he was going to be better than anybody else. <laughs> I had to worry, you know. So there was a, a small t- window, but Steve, he was one he could be ruthless, and he he enjoyed it and loved it. So we uh, we had a good time in that locker room. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. But it was a. I don't know how to explain it. It was just there wasn't everybody. Nobody was immune to it. Everybody was was fair game. I mean, so you the, would do something like that again with Steve. I mean, you're. Not oh yeah, no, yeah. no. You would try. You would yeah. try to, and I mean, it was always it was always that case. I mean, that's just the way it went. No, you didn't get him often, but uh, it was did you ever fun. get got as Marshall uh, Marshawn Lynch might say? You know what? Uh, not. I don't know if I really ever did. Maybe once or something, but I don't ever truly wow. remember. I was. Uh, I knew where things were in my locker. I was I wasn't a neat freak by any stretch, but I knew exactly where I placed everything and I knew my fleece pants were hanging on the wrong side one time. And then I stopped for a second and I assessed the situation and I saw a, a grain of rice on the ground. And I said to myself, All right, there's something up. So I checked close and we had a cubby that would lock if you needed to put your wallet or something in there. And it was closed, and I never, ever, ever closed it all the way. It always had a little crack. So I said, there's something going on. So I touched it, and I saw a couple more rice kernels. Well, they went up, and somebody loaded it up with rice. So as soon as I would open it, rice would just go all over all my stuff. And so when it happened, I just said, nobody can mess with me. And I grabbed the trash can, I opened it, and I caught everything. And, yeah, I think it was Jason Kyle, deep snapper. They have a lot of time. Oh, they got too much time on their hands. Too much time on their hands. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not not often. There was a deep snapper here named Mark Rodenhauser. It was before your time. But 
he was in the infancy of sort of computer graphics would do fake cereal boxes that had like the security guy's head on it and or whatever. I mean, he was just because they have so much time. You yeah. know, I mean, all you have to do is make perfect snaps. And what are you doing in practice for the other two hours, really? Yeah, so it was, uh, those are fun times. And that's what you miss. I think, yeah, don't get me wrong. I miss the paychecks. Yeah. We all do. Right. But that those are the fun times, you know, that locker room. That's what you miss. That's what players miss the most. Tell us about your, like, day-to-day life now. So during the season gets a little, I get a little more busy during the season. The traveling for the games and stuff like that. But I, I do the race horses every day. You know, I really and, and how do, I know that, but how does that work? So I'm up every. I, listen, I'm at the barn at five forty five every morning. We, we we rent stalls or I rent space at a training center about twenty five minutes away, thirty minutes away. So I'm um, I'm at the barn about five forty five, and uh, training hours are from six to ten. That's how most racetracks kind of do their business. Um, so once we're done there, either we have to shoe them or it, it, there's always something. So if we're not racing or something that day, I can, in essence, be finished for 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So it's really not bad. Um, and then I have a few other things I kind of piddle with. Uh, but if we're running that day, if we're heading to New Orleans to run or, I mean, that's a 12, 14 hour day or running one in another part of the state. And, um, you know, in the afternoon, I have somebody that works for me. Uh, who actually lives out where we're at, and he's been with me for about ten years, and they'll feed in the afternoon, and so that's kind of my deal. And you know, I was in Dallas a few days this week. There was a horse sale there, so you're constantly. It's like the combine. I go to the combine and I try mm-hmm. to replenish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a. It's How a, many do you have? Right. Now? We we keep between eight to twelve in training. Okay. My dad, uh, my brother will always have one, and another guy that was kind of raised with my dad. He's with us, but it's just us, and I run between six. That that's a good number, six to eight, somewhere okay. around there. But it's they're never. It seems like they're never all healthy at the same time. It just kind of like football players. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I have about three mares I keep in Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. That's kind of the the Augusta of golf, yes. the 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 New York, the Wall Street. The, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so Lexington is the the mecca for the thoroughbred industry. Um, so I, I, they stay there, and I constantly. I sell the babies in Kentucky, and I'll buy there. It's a, it's a, it's a lot, and I love it because I know it. I think there's two things I kind of know. I know football, and I, and like the horses, I, I love and enjoy, and I'm hands on. You know? I remember even when you were here, you would be looking at this website called Equibase. Yeah. yeah, that was my release. You know, mm-hmm. that was like um, I used to. I like reading. I uh, but then now there's so much information. And stuff like that. I I just I love it. That's that's kind of my love, and that feels that co- fills that competitive void. So, do you make money in I, thoroughbreds? I, I laugh. I, people say, "Listen, I try to break even every year. I have yeah, a yeah. you know payroll, you know, and stuff like that." And it if you hunt or fish, you're not making money. <laughs> you know, some years are better than others. You yeah. know, knock on wood. I, last year and this year have been very good so far. So. You, you you enjoy the good days and, and things like that. So football gave me a chance, and, and I love it. I mean, it's my – I don't I don't like to hunt. You don't play I, golf. I don't and like you to fish. I'm not a your, golfer. That's what I enjoy doing. This has always been yeah. your passion. I just – I've always yeah. loved it. You know, we've always kind of done it. And it, it always took a back seat. But since I was finished, it – you know, I, I was able to kind of make it more – 
So you the the problem I'd have with it is getting up so early. Oh, so I'm a, I'm an early bird. Okay, I love yeah. it. I am yeah. not a night owl. Okay. I don't. Oh, what no. time you go to bed? Uh, the earlier the better. Mm. You know, listen. If I can be sleeping for ten o'clock, you know, my alarm set at four thirty. That's six and a half. I sleep hard. I'm good. I'm good to go. <laughs> but if I can get to bed earlier than that, that's yeah. even better. You mentioned Baker Mayfield's age uh, now, which and he is still a young man. And I've, I'd forgotten, but you didn't start your first NFL season as a starter. Yeah. Until 28 or something? I think I was 27, 27 and I turned 28. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, late 20s. Yeah. And um, could not start for the Amsterdam Admirals, right? Although there was a extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's so hard to make it. And I go to college. I did very well. Started all four years. It's kind of ironic. I, I got put in at halftime with my first game as a true freshman. Really? Yeah. Same way? I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, did you win the game? No, we lost the game. Um, we were getting beat pretty good, but I left the field four years later. You know wow. what I mean? I, I yeah. played every minute. Same thing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not drafted. Go to the Saints, barely hang on, you know, stick around on the practice squad, and they sent me to NFL Europe. And that was a proving ground at that time. And uh, and so, gosh, I went, and we're in Atlanta. We're staying at the Falcon Inn, which was on the, the complex of the Atlanta Falcons. And oh, that's yeah. where every team had their um, <clears throat> had training, training camp. Oh, yeah. In, in Atlanta. Or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, right. And so yeah. they had one other quarterback. He was 26. I was 21. And his name was Kurt Warner. I didn't know that. <laughs> he was an arena league guy. He had went to camp with Green Bay three years earlier. And Kurt will tell you, I wasn't ready. Like Kurt said, Jake, I couldn't call a play in the huddle. Yet Brett Favre, Mark Burnell, Ty Dedmer, and, him, and myself. Hmm. He said, I, was so, I couldn't call a play because I wasn't ready. He says, I didn't know what I was going to do. So he said, I'm working at the Hy-Vee, stocking shelves. You know, I'm not sure what I wanted to do. And then the Iowa Barnstormers gave him an opportunity of the Arena League. And then he played it. And I don't know if he was the MVP for two or three years in a row, whatever it was. And then he was going to have one more opportunity to get sent over. And the St. Louis Rams allocated him over. And I called back home. I talked to Carrie, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And this guy's pretty good. He's pretty accurate. <laughs> He's a nice guy. I mean, it's like, what can you say? It's like you you knew it. And – we did not know who was starting the first game until an hour and 15 minutes before the first game. Seriously. We were playing in Dusseldorf against the Ryan Fire. Al Luganbill was our coach. He was a coach at San Diego State when Marshall Falk was there. And Al Luganbill, if you think John Fox loved defense, <laughs> Al Luganbill loved it a hundred times more than John oh Fox. Yeah, so yeah. he hated offense. <laughs> and so he sat us down and he said, hey, listen, you're both going to play. Kurt, you're going to start the game. Jake, you're going to play. He said, this is what I'm going to go with tonight. He said, I just want both of you to know, you don't need to win the game for us. But definitely don't lose it. (laughs) And I remember saying to myself, I think he just insulted us. And Kurt (laughs) looked at me and Kurt said, it's just typical Kurt. He goes, how about that for a vote of confidence? You know, I mean, it was just like, are you kidding me? And Kurt went in, did very well, and I didn't play much. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so. Kurt was ready, and Kurt was good. You just knew it. Um, and then it kind of went on to uh, his yeah. fame from there. He uh, Well, we're about to the end, but I do want you to tell me, Jake, if you would, about your rela- relationship with the Mannings. I think uh, a lot of people don't know that there's a real connection. There. Yeah, so... 
I get a phone call. I knew Archie Manning. I think we all did. Knew of him or knew? Yeah, him? I knew of him. Okay. okay. Yeah. Everybody did in South Louisiana. Of course. Yeah. So, but in high school, um, I went to, my high school was, there, there was, at that time, gosh, I think there were, there was five classifications. 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A. 1A the smallest, 5A the largest. And it was not split public, private. I mean, you, everybody played, you know, against each other. And so my junior and senior year, there was three guys that would take turns leading the state in passing. Josh Booty, who was the number one quarterback in the country, uh, who played at LSU and had a couple – he played in the NFL a little bit, Peyton Manning, and myself. Josh went to single-A school evangel. I went to single-A school Turlings Catholic. And Peyton went to the small double-A Isidore Newman. And we never played each other, but I would follow. We, I mean, we, the the newspaper was the only place you had any information back then. There was no right. internet, so every week, and so it happened two years in a row. And all of us put up a lot of numbers. So I get a phone call in my dorm a few years later at UL, and it's this young kid that worked at Tulane, and he was like, "Hey, Archie Manning starting this Manning Passing Academy this summer." And they would want to know if you'd want to be one of the counselors and work it. And I thought it was a joke. <laughs> and then, he, can Archie give you a call? So, so Archie called me, and I was floored. And Peyton was maybe a freshman or sophomore at Tennessee. You know, a sophomore, because I think I was going to be a junior, whatever it may be. And I went to the camp. It's at Tulane, and it's us. We're coaching with some other local high school coaches, and there's only 175 campers. Eli's in, like, high school. Mm-hmm. They're, and so it started, and then it just kept growing year in and year out, and you just develop a relationship with these guys, and we work our tail off all day, and we'd go have a couple of pops at night. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of went from there, and it just kind of took on a life of its own, and working that Manning camp was something I was proud of. Just you become friends. That's Those right. players yeah, become that. friends. And Baker and I were kind of just shooting the bull yesterday for a little bit after mm-hmm. practice. I stayed late and I'm, and uh, we talked about it a little bit because I missed him. He would have done it, I He guess. worked it, yeah. Oh, he worked I, it. Oh, yeah. yeah, he worked mm-hmm. it maybe a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he talked about it. Good, dude, I love it. Well, you've got so many great stories, Jake, and I'm sure we could go for days. But I just appreciate so much you taking time to to be part of sports legends of the carolinas uh, you are one of the true legends whether you believe it or not and so still see a lot of number 17 jerseys around here that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. you know i don't see many you know because there's so many great players in carolina but when i see it i kind of chuckle and just laugh you know this place was great it was great well thank you very much jake it's been a pleasure absolutely thank you again for subscribing and supporting local journalism Next, I am Davis Love III, 2022 President's Cup Captain and the next guest on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens, and the Director of Audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, 
please share with a friend. See you next week.